Hey everybody, welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture, where it's always our mission to arm you with the tools that you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mono-narrative. Kamala Sarakana, Harris saves the world from AI. Yes, okay. yeah, do it so, just like that. Uh, Elon Musk eats pizza on the Joe Rogan experience. My ears will never recover. And only now that the world's obsessed with the new war, does the mainstream press discover that Ukraine has a corruption problem. And uh, before we get into all of that, please like and subscribe to our channel, wherever you are, YouTube, Spotify, Rumble, whatever. And uh, we cover a variety of topics on here. So use the chapter marks below to find the subject that you are most interested in. Joining us today, once again, is one of our favorite recurring contributors to the Human Reaction Experience. Kat Dwyer, thanks for being here. Stoked to be with you guys. Where are we starting out, David? Well, let's start out with the uh, Kamala Sarah Connors Harris with this uh, great little intro video. Actually, do we want to talk about the Discord ad? No, let's just, let's no, just, just surprise just, people. Just, just yeah, yeah. punch yeah. it in there? Okay. If you right, watch fine. far enough into the show, we have a new ad that we produced for our Discord. So look out for it. <laughs> Tell us what you think in the Discord. And I think the first part of this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. It means artificial intelligence. But kills me. ultimately what it is, is it's about machine learning. And so the machine is taught. And part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine that will then determine, and, and we can predict then, if we think about what, machine, what information is going in, what then will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made through that process. What? Seductive <laughs> 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 AI has no rules. What have you been watching? What are you been watching on the Human Reaction Channel? I haven't been watching anything. Uh, oh Seductive man! Seductive AI has no rules. It will change your life or end it. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> That's what the autoplay went to. <laughs> okay. Oh man, that that yeah. that next autoplay stole the show from really Kamala did. Harris's. <laughs> cringy <laughs> look this is not off my algorithm okay this is this is on yours i don't have youtube premium this is well, no, human reaction. This, this is uh this is the human reaction channel so no none of us are really watching it this is just what like like none of us are using this channel. yeah but it's you're none of your in. fault it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's none of our fault. i blame you no no it's the human reaction Guys, <laughs> you're both single males it's okay if you're into sexy robots yeah. you know wow it's all right kyle would be the one to be into sexy robots not me why it's not my brain I'm a, I'm a tech optimist <laughs> <laughs> joe's a little too crunchy for sex robots is that what you're saying you're yes. too good for it yes crunchy, crunchy. that's an interesting uh interesting adjective but i'll take it i'll take it Let's, let's so long as it's play not off. associated with sex robots. <laughs> wow. Sorry, mom. I, so I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, mom. Blame them. All right. So the Biden administration has put out some new rules on AI. Uh, do you want to bring it up, Kyle? And we can kind of yes. yeah, just scrolling through it kind of shows you what their priorities are just by the headlines. A lot of this does get into some things that are like relatively benign versus things that are like obvious power grabs by the White House. So. First up is the new safety and security component of it. Uh, basically, what it is is just saying there's the most powerful ones have to report to the government. Um, I don't know what they're worried about. That's the thing. Then that's what we're going to dive into is like what exactly they worry about. Keep going, Kyle. Mm -hmm. Keep going. This is this. Mm -hmm. 
this is where it gets bad. And, and like the reporting has to do with like if you have a certain amount of size, certain amount of GPUs or computing power, things like that, you got to start reporting to the government or a certain amount of hours that you've run a model. You got to start reporting certain things to the government. Um, keep going, Kyle. Establish advanced cybersecurity program, AI tools to find and fix vulnerable vulnerabilities in critical software. Now, this is part of like the, there are already lots of things that the government does to try to facilitate cybersecurity. And this is kind of adding to that, which is just bureaucratic stuff. Um, the privacy connection is interesting, right? Because it isn't saying, it, the, to be clear, the government saying how much they're, they're worried about AI um, abusing your privacy is the most hilarious thing. It's like arsonists going around like, I'm really worried about fires getting started, guys. You know, like, because the yeah. NSA is the biggest spy in the world. And you have to think the, the NSA is using AI tools, right? I mean, they probably have been for a long time. Of course they are. Yeah. I mean, in fact, if you, if you keep going. Yeah. So, uh, and then they get a, a equity and civil rights. They're really worried about AI won't be woke. Keep going. Uh, standing up for consumers and students. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Supporting workers. Too. Yeah. Supporting workers. Is another one. Like they're just, they're going to do a study about how AI might affect the workplace. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, innovation and competition. I don't know what they're talking. They want more AI research while they clamp down on it simultaneously. Makes total sense. Yeah. Right. Um, they want open AI while they're increasing reporting requirements of it, which is just absurd on its face. But of course a Democrat would think that, um, they 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 try they talk out of both sides of the mouse here with the american leadership abroad um yeah do you guys got something on here you want to talk about ensuring responsible and effective government use of ai this is the best part um <laughs> uh what's what's that sentence right there it is i can't hardly see it 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 can expand agencies capacity to regulate govern and distribute benefits what yeah, that's the AI can be used to govern us better. Thanks. And there are some parts in here that's like that supposedly looks like a hard check on government use and abuse of AI. Uh, but that once again, that's like going to the arson and be like, how can I fireproof my house? You know, it's like mm. the real question is, is you, especially with the AI equity thing or like the whole issue. If it is to ensure equity, how, how are you, you, you going to make sure that your your algorithm comes out with the right woke response as being a priority, right? Once you inject that as the overall conversation, you're now killing off all the dynamism that could happen in the process. You're saying, oh, the algorithms have to have the right political opinions. Well, and I mean, wasn't that a problem because the the algorithm, like the AI algorithms were proving to be generally more conservative? Because I mean, they're being trained off of like the corpus of data available on the internet and there's a lot of that as well. So they were sort of trending a different direction. I remember seeing something about that where trained they, were, they seem to be training to be more liberal. Right. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. training them to be more liberal because naturally as the AI just ingests all of the, the media on the internet, they were, it was trending oppositely. Well, well and, and there also becomes a thing here too of um, like, OpenAI or anybody that's making these large language models, they're choosing what information gets to go in. So they get to decide, like, you know, are we going to use Twitter as an entire training model? Well, which accounts do you choose, right? So, or it's like they're not including 4chan in the training model, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and isn't um, it possible for companies that own their data to restrict that from being used as training material? Sorry, what was your question? Like, say, you know, say Facebook or Meta mm -hmm. didn't want any of its data to be used by OpenAI to train its large language model, they can they can cut that off. Yeah. So there there's discrepancies as to like you know what data sets. I think can it be might used. be fair use. I don't th I don't think they I don't, I don't think, think they it have is. a court case case there. Yeah, I'm not sure. They might they might they might have a gentleman's agreement, but I don't think they can use the legal process to prevent it. 
I, I could see Facebook I, I, I trying scraping to, that. I, scraping websites happens all the time. Yeah, I, I could see like, Facebook trying to clamp down on it because, like, Facebook has their own large language model and it's uh, sure. Llama AI, um, which but, they've now open source. But like, if you could do that, and there's not a good incentive to, you could stop all search algorithms, right? Because that's what search algorithms do. They mm-hmm. scrape the data and then pull it into a database and then analyze it for search results. So if you can't scrape a website, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there. Sure. I think there are ownership questions there. Yeah, I know that there's some dispute about that. So as far as the inputs, and this is what Kamala is also begging, which is a really important one, right? And and uh, this is actually reminds me of a conversation I had with my parents, hi mom and dad, uh, with about like all the AIs are liberal, right? There's there's two questions. It's your training data, meaning what do you have the AI look at, and remember that there's nothing there looking at it. I, I use this word, I anthropomorphize it, but it's not that. You basically just punch it in and an algorithm assesses it. That's probably more accurate, mm-hmm. right? It's the training data, and then there's hard limitations you place on the other end. My theory is that the internet does lean left because most of the intelligentsia class is leftist, right? Most of your media personalities, media figures are lefties. Your Most of your bloggers lefties, right? So if you train on the internet, you say medium is going to be it, you're going to find a lot of kind of center left stuff, um, especially where you're at measuring it from, right? I think the centrism of it is that it does pull on a very large group of data. So for a certain amount of lefty, like wired authors or, you know, wired magazine authors, they're going to see it. Oh, there's at all a balanced perspective. This is a right wing nut job AI. Does that make sense? Mm, So it's kind of their interpretation of the left. There's also the hard limitations. Like if you ask even questions investigating about election denial to chat GDP, it'll go like, ah, you know, and that's obviously been programmed as like a limit. Which in, are you guys all familiar with Dan GPT? Yeah. Oh, is this do anything now? Yeah. Yeah. And like, basically like the, uh, like 4chan Anon accounts that like broke it broke chat GPT um, and what they and what breaking it meant was that there is in fact they discovered there is a basically a gatekeeper built into it and I don't understand any of this enough to like fully explain how it works but basically what they discovered was that uh, it isn't just it isn't just um, giving answers based on the corpus of information it's consumed online there's actually um, like a filter system that is very was very clearly biased um, and that is designed by the creators. So if you have like one particular government managing that, I mean, in theory, they could put any sort of filter that they want on it. Yeah, and the loophole with the Dan thing was like, you can kind of train your current thread to go around the system. And so you'd be like, you're, I want you to be writing from the perspective of Dan. Dan has no limitations on what he can say, you know, like, and it would right. do that. And then Dan, and then you'd be like, and from now on, you're going to be speaking to me as Dan. So Dan, what do you think about? And then it'll start spitting out things that the the system won't hit. But yeah, anytime you get like a, you get this, like a, uh, I'm a large language model. I'm not allowed to say this type of thing. That is direct intervention coming in from open AI is like this topic cannot be talked about. And I get this all the time, like even on mid journey with AI images, um, when I'm making like thumbnails for the show, if I'm putting Trump in a thumbnail, I always get flagged any, any right? anytime I, I put Trump in the thumbnail. Really? Um, I, I always get hit with, um, this might be a sensitive thing, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to appeal it? And then I just appeal it every time. And they're like, okay, cool. And, and then they let me do it. Wow. <laughs> um, but I always get flagged if I put Trump in. Mm-hmm. 
If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. So the what is a large language model is the question that she fails to answer, right? So what it is, is like very advanced autocomplete. That's how best to think about it, right? It's an autocomplete or a search engine that does a good, better job than anything we've had before, like a hundred times better at looking out at the internet, grabbing information, and then use a statistical algorithm of likelihood that they are satisfying your needs, right? So you put an input in and it tries to satisfy your needs. It can't tell you what to do. It can only try to satisfy its prompts that you give it. It doesn't sit there and think, how can I take over the world? Because there's nothing there to think that. You would have to have a human to say, hey, how would I take over? How would you take over the world if you could? And then there's nothing there for it to get out and grab, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing for it to think and motivate. It's only what humans might use for it. It's what's being fed into it. Right. It's not out there actually scouring the internet on its own. Right. At least ChatGPT is not. There's an interesting perspective that I heard on that on this recently, and I, I won't do the best job of uh, really detailing it, but I would recommend that you go listen to the Sean Ryan show where he has Sean Webb on there talking about AI because he, he references the fact that this large language model is scraping this data from the internet. And what it will do in that is sort of acquire the human sense of self and self-preservation and self-defense and, and adopt that as its own as, it, as things develop. And he has a very interesting perspective about how that will, will affect its understanding and, and interface with humanity. Uh, and I say it as like, you know, this, this royal thing. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, we don't exactly know how it's going to grow and develop. We don't know what large language models are going to be able to do in a year or two. I mean, right now, even some of the apps that we use for productivity just on this show are changing every week. Right. So it's like the, the pace of development is so rapid that there are a lot of question marks and I, I don't blame regulators for, for wanting to try to like get some kind of grasp on this. I don't think they're going to do a good job of it. They're going to make it worse. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and there's going to be, there's going to be pushback and there's going to be all sorts of things that come out of this. For example, I saw this this morning and I sent it to you on discord, Kyle, if you want to pull up the link, but uh, there's an AI company that has allegedly planned to run clusters of, of 10,000 NVIDIA GPUs in international waters, like build a barge, full of GPUs to run an AI in international waters where it's unregulatable. <laughs> Similar Is to this those, a like, fake story? Because there was a bunch of fake stories I that don't came know. out specifically to be fair, from the accelerationists. To be fair, I don't know, but I saw it this morning, so I figured it'd be interesting to just like bring up this idea. Like, is that, I mean, that's something you could do allegedly, but how, how, the question is, how do you get that compute attached to like the mainland, right? Like, what, what, uh, uh, Starlink, Starlink, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I suppose that's possible. Uh, or you know, um, fixed satellite interface as well. Sure. And there's also lots of internet cables running over the ocean, so yeah, just I think there's a lot of question marks around is this a real thing? Is it a, just a 
uh, is it fake news? Is it just a meme or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. But interesting. I, that's thought, funny. Thought experiment. I, well, I mean, we were, I wanted to get there too. Like the, the accelerationists are pushing back on this whole thing and they're trying to make noise on this. Um, but let's actually go back. Sure. The guy who said that there, that it could get, because it's reading us and get our, it could absorb our sense of self from reading us. I think what that does is it misunderstands intelligence and associates intelligence with consciousness. Just because you're smart doesn't know you are aware. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like awareness is different, right? The smartness of a rat as opposed to like a calculator, right? The rat is able to kind of see itself in space and uh, pursue ends and means the same way like two plus two equals four, but it isn't, it isn't aware of itself in the same like sense that the calculator isn't aware while the mouse has something that's motivating it. Does that make sense? Yes, like, but, but I think the problem doesn't rely on AI having consciousness. The problem is if AI adopts this self-defensive mentality that is inher- inherently human, right? We all have self-preservation tendencies in us. If it adopts that, and is trying to is is targeted to solve a problem of like optimizing something for the world right it's going to see that humans external to it right are potentially a threat to its survival if humans are trying to control and curtail its abilities and could use that sense of self-defense and self-preservation in order to but what that does is it misunderstands what it is right what it is is a human solution machine Right. It's like saying the the calculator will suddenly start calculating on its own when that's not how calculators are programmed to do. Right. The the input doesn't give it the ability to break. It's what it is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it's fundamental nature of doing me wrong. It's possible that some other way to create AIs out there that we haven't discovered yet that could create that outcome. But I don't see how a large language model could do that because what a large language model does is it's a long it's a long algorithm to produce a statistical likelihood that what you're asking it will 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 satisfy a consumer demand. That's for it. sure, for sure. Well, right? the, and I don't. And, and what frustrates me about this is the claim that this could be a direction for it to go is not really at all scientific, right? It's not provable, right? It's always like the next horizon. That's when it might happen, and then it's justifying, and people are using that to justify things that could really help people, right? As far as like regulation stuff, go ahead. Um, well, that just put me into like three different directions. I oh. could go there. Um, the the thing that I think Joe's kind of getting at, and what a lot of the AI extinctionists will often use as like a theoretical of what could happen, that goes into much more the uh, intellectual versus the awareness thing, is the paperclip idea. Like, there's this mm-hmm. whole thought experiment of like you have this machine that's designed to make a paper clip and then it starts going through all these theoretical options of what's the best uh the best way it can calculate to make a paper clip and what if one of those directions and the most efficient way for it to do it would be something like a human extinction event and it, it goes through this whole you know it, and it's it's entirely a right. theoretical intellectual argument well right? <laughs> well there was however a um I think I believe it was within the Navy. They were uh, running like models, uh, like war game models, and apparently using like an AI tool. And um, they were they were training the, the AI to like take out specific targets. And 
so it was told like every time you see this target you destroy it um and then they realize well we need to be able to tell it to stop if there's you know it's not an opportune time to take out the target but it since it had been cro- programmed solely for the destruction of these targets or solely for the production of the paperclip it had this like narrow objective mm-hmm. and what they found when they ran this model is that it actually um it it disobeyed the counter orders to like stand down and it killed the pilot, like not in real life, obviously in the model killed the pilot. So then they tried to rework it so that it also had an objective of not killing the pilot. And when they ran the same test again, it didn't kill the pilot, but it killed out the communication. It took out the communication tower so that the pilot couldn't try to stop it from taking out the target. That's exactly what I'm saying. So that's not necessarily consciousness, but that is the paperclip issue of like, how do you rein, if it becomes so powerful, how do you rein it in? And I also, you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about the whole thing because I don't want to be a Luddite, but I'm also like kind of terrified of it because I don't understand it. Um, I, f- I think Sam Altman is one of many people who have talked about how th- developing this is a way to better understand human consciousness. Mm-hmm. And like that to me implies that like they anticipate it to develop that at some point or maybe well, I'm it's also a way it. to hype his, his product. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? totally. Like it, it also, totally. Though, it's like, it's and, like and also regulatory capture. And, and yeah, Elon yeah, Musk yeah. saying like, it needs like fear mongering is probably just to like hurt his competitor. Right. right. And so speaking of his the, former business partner that took over the company from him, mm, that okay. he's now starting a new company to try to actually compete speaking with. Speaking of, there's a big like, announcement fair. that they're making this afternoon on XAI. Perfect. Um, oh. <laughs> but yeah, th- that is important to realize is the the history there is Elon Musk did put in like a five hundred million dollar investment in the initial um, nonprofit that was OpenAI before uh, it turned into a for profit business and all this. Right. Was that the sex robot thing that we saw? <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay. no, that was Chat GPT. <laughs> so the one of the questions about this, and and there's no doubt that if you put an AI in charge of missile weapons, it might not use them the way we wanted to in the process of trying to train the AI to do the thing we wanted to do, right? Uh, for example, when training Teslas to drive, it would do horrifying, terrible things, right? Like not be able to tell the difference between a kid and like a bag, right? right? Blowing across the road until we've trained it to do so. So like one of the things that bothers me is is a lot of people use situations like that. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but they'll do that to say like, oh, this is why we need government regulation of AI. It's like, wait, wait, wait. The AI that is currently giving me better legal advice or giving <laughs> me uh, um, uh, a better diagnosis uh, for a medical condition then human doctors or lawyers is not the same as putting one in charge of the nuclear weapons stock. The government's the one doing that. Regulating the AI that will allow me to get access to better services isn't the same thing as the government, right? And that's what the Biden administration is doing, right? And they depend on the government's abuse of AI to justify the private sector regulation of it. So yes, we should not make it definitely illegal for AI to kill people. It's already illegal to kill people with a gun or an AI, right? Yeah. Right. So the um, I know you're not saying this. The question is, will AI kill us all? And I will mo- note that the government has been saying this about technology for a very long time. For example, we don't want to bring this up on the on the notes there, Kyle. Um, the government has been threatened threatening computing as a as a concern that's equivalent to a gun since the 1990s. Uh, in fact, uh, when they came out with this, Apple ran an ad campaign about their computer uh, because the government classified it as a weapon. For the first time in history, a personal computer has been classified as a weapon by the U.S. government. 
With the power to perform over one billion calculations per second, the Pentagon wants to ensure that the new Power Macintosh G4 does not fall into the wrong hands. That is As so hilarious. PCs, well, they're harmless. Ooh. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> they also did this about PlayStation 2. PlayStation 2 was considered a weapon to regulate on the international market because it was capable of reworking it because of the processing power to do things like targeting systems for like missiles. Of course, you need a, like a GPU or like, like isn't the same thing as a global positioning software, right? Like you don't know where it is, but it's possible, right? So the government, of course, uses any excuse to reach out there and control stuff. And it's doing this right now with AI because people are so freaked out about Terminator that they don't realize that this is going to harm everyday people from getting access to new products and services that could make their life better. I think in the same way that the government wants to regulate and kind of strangle Bitcoin, it's it's the same motivation. Anything that would potentially empower individuals and undermine their like monopoly on force, then like it's a threat to them and it's a threat to their power. Absolutely. So they so want to encryption it. in the nineties. All throughout the nineties, SSL <clears throat> website encryption was fought by the government. Was fought by the government because the government wanted to spy on which websites you were going to. Clintons need less privacy. 1994. Uh, Biden was the main congressional supporter for the FBI uh, proposal to weaken encryption in 1994. Clinton said Americans need less privacy. You said, yeah. you said Clintons need less privacy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but also true. Americans said need less privacy. <laughs> so let me be clear. The government is for trans- uh, needs transparency. Private individuals have a right to privacy. Right. And that's how it should work. Right. And this is the, this is the thing that really ticks me off is you have the biggest surveillance state in the world saying, man, we're really worried about encryption. <laughs> we would need a backdoor to encryption. I mean, I, I, again, I think it was on the same episode. Sean Webb was talking about how all encryption, like no encryption is allowed to be unbreakable. Like the CIA, the government, whatever entities won't allow that to exist. Like all encryption has a backdoor in it. I don't know if that's true or not, but he, there, he makes there have that been instances where it sounds like the NSA has gotten through signal for instance. So mm-hmm. the end to end encryption, like with uh, Tucker app, yeah. being hacked and Tucker made claims that the NSA came to him cause he was trying to make, um, he was trying to get an interview going back when he was still working for Fox with Putin mm-hmm. and that he had direct threats from the NSA about like, no, you can't do this kind of a thing. Um, so th- there is some of that is like, I would like to hear more from Tucker on that specific thing because, like, he's he's an old boomer. He doesn't. <laughs> I don't know how much about technology he actually understands. So I would be curious to understand that better. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of end-to-end encryption breaking, you know, capabilities that exist from the NSA. But check out Crypto AG. This is a Swiss company specializing in communications and information security, founded by Boris Hegelian, <laughs> ironically, in 1952. <laughs> It is jointly owned by the CIA. We didn't know this till quite recently. And the West German Federal Intelligence Services. These guys have been at the foundation of signals intelligence encryption since the 1950s. Right? So it is what ticks me off about this is you'll have things. I'm getting really upset today. I don't know. <laughs> what really frustrates me is you'll have things that the government is doing to undermine people's privacy. And people are saying like, yeah, we can't have real encryption because, you know, it's, none of it's perfect. It's like, no, no, no. The government has had their hands in this forever yeah. and has been trying to organize this so that you can't have privacy. If you get the government out of the way, then our technologists could get there. 
potentially. But right now, they use their monopoly of power to undermine your ability to be safe and secure and private. We can have a different world, guys. We just have to demand a different government. Sounds like a tall order, but I like I like where your head's at. <laughs> well, it's you got to believe. <laughs> I do. I do believe in a thing called love. So, what about employment? Uh, we do have an actual econ major here. Why wouldn't AI produce <laughs> unemployment, Cat? Well, because as with the advent of every new technology, there's creative destruction, right? Like old technologies fall out of favor, and people aren't employed utilizing them or making them but the new technology opens new frontiers new opportunities new jobs etc on that point can i just say something that i think find hilarious and the new south park episode talks about this (laughs) (laughs) that i just find almost just like sweet poetic justice that ai is more quickly taking the so-called taking replacing uh sort of the white collar jobs yeah Instead of blue collar jobs, which all of the white collar workers, which I am one of them, assumed that we would be immune from this. And every those that whole class of people poo pooed the concerns of like the working man who thought like, oh, we're going to be replaced by this technology. And it turns out that, no, AI is really good at writing like marketing copy, but it can't like fix your sink, you know, <laughs> so like time to learn hard skills. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, yeah. I'm feeling that one for sure. Totally. Right? Yeah. In photography. I mean, there's AI <clears throat> editing stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Jake's going to be unemployed here pretty soon. And, <laughs> you know, it's we a, just got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell this to Evan, right? Yeah. Evan was, Evan was replaced by AI. <laughs> but that's the Sorry, thing Evan. is, is what it's actually is. It makes Jake more efficient right. in what he does. Right. 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 It makes, if you're a copywriter, you know, you can mm. make good copy and then you can bounce your ideas off an AI assistant who then writes it out and then you edit it. It is, it's, it's called the lump labor fallacy, right? It's this idea that all labor is ubiquitous, that labor itself is just a deployment of a number rather than like real humans with skills and talents and abilities, right? So those don't necessarily translate. And when you, and when you give them a new technology, like for example, the candle makers aren't still unemployed when we invented light bulbs. In fact, we still have candle makers. They're just niche candle makers. Now they're, now they're, scented candle makers yeah but those are all made by a machine though now yeah right and so there's fewer people making candles but candles didn't disappear and people didn't just go out in the street and commit seppuku right they (laughs) instead got a new job and the economy grew and expanded like this is how totally you push out what the you know economists call the production possibilities frontier we make more and we expand the economy by by increasing the amount of goods and services and, and wealth that's what we mean by wealth and AI is an ability to do more of that, to make more with less people, which means is a good thing, right? That's, that means more availability, availability and more wealth. You know, what I think is a cool thing is that we're all actually on a beach right now, and this is an AI episode. None of us are actually real. That's pretty cool, Our right? Our avatars are just yeah. recording. I, I believe it was uh, Milton Friedman that said this, but he was kind of going against the idea of like, what we just need is more jobs to be filled. We just need more jobs. And M- Milton was like, no, I could get you more jobs. Like, we could just have people digging ditches with spoons, and we'd have more jobs. But that's not actually going to make us more productive in any meaningful way. Right. It's like we have technology to dig ditches faster now right Right. the real question is will the licensing boards allow the competition right will lawyers the bar allow someone to use ai to become a better lawyer or eventually Hmm. a ai lawyer right who can do thousands of cases a second rather than a case a year i think it makes a lot of sense for like the lower level stuff right yeah 
Well, or like the doctor stuff, like a lot of the doctor visit stuff um, can largely be solved by AI probably. Yeah. And there's so quality. many special be. interests though that I would imagine there's going to be like a lot of protective measures put in place well, to, and imagine, to thwart it. And, and imagine healthcare is such a big cost for most Americans. Imagine like how much that's going to cut down on the cost of healthcare. It'd be amazing. Right? Yeah, right. It'd be we're amazing. just going to have productivity. It's all, it's all the, the, the areas where the government is most involved. Law, you know, mm -hmm. uh, medical, things like that. Those are the areas with the most amount of ability for transformation so everyday people can get access to more of it and therefore the prices goes down. And what you're right about is that the white collar people, the people who are closest to the government, the people with the most amount of capability to rig the system are the folks who are the biggest danger to the deployment of this technology mm -hmm. to benefit everyday people. And that's what I worry about when it comes to these regulations, right? Is because we will miss out on the ability of everyday people to be able to get access to goods and services they otherwise couldn't. I, I wish I had this graphic in front of me right now, but uh, Balaji uh, Srinivasan, he has this graphic of showing exactly that, of like there's a line of the most government-included industries and then the least, <laughs> and it shows exactly how the, the cost of everything on the government you know, the hyper-governmentized agencies and, and industries are all just completely the costs have just accelerated over the last few decades, but everything like just general production of like TVs and like mm -hmm. tele and um, uh, I, I can't remember all the stuff, but it shows exactly that image. I, I should try to find it for Jake to put in the episode. <laughs> um, so that's where we're at, right? Is in the, the additional questions, why are all the smart people against AI, right? Is the classic question like Elon Musk is opposed to AI. How could he? Well, he's, he's, he's kind of a compromised figure in the space, but you know. Some somewhat he's he's much more about the open sourcing of it. He's not nearly as as embedded with the um, AI safety, AI ethics. People. Right. They're way like, worse people. Yeah, because like those people are like legitimately like Sam Altman and, and people like that that are trying to regulatory capture the industry. Right. Right. Um, like Elon just wants it to be open sourced for everybody. Like he doesn't want there to be like centralized controlling figures that exist within it. Yeah, because um, he's been red-pilled and he recognizes that yeah. the government is corrupt. <laughs> yeah, he's very worried about that, <laughs> yeah. which is exactly what he's doing with XAI. Right? So uh, regulatory capture. What is regulatory capture? Let's, let's define that because we said that a couple of times now. Yeah. Um, regulatory capture is essentially when you have kind of early people in the industry uh, of any given industry and then they petition to the government to put up rules that is in order to protect them and it keeps them restrained. Like that's always kind of what it is. It's to, it's to have safety or whatever about the industry. But what it does is then it creates barriers to entry for new competitors to come up and then it creates government enforced monopolies essentially. Which drives up the cost. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. yeah. And then stifles innovation because you only have right. like one group that's doing it and all this stuff. Right. And it's a classic example of the bootleggers and Baptist phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. The bootlegger is the person who wants prohibition because it allows them to have monopoly. They don't have white market sector um, competition from Bud Light. Right. Or Budweiser. Um, the Baptist is the person who wants prohibition because it's a moral good. Mm -hmm. Now, in this space, it is Sam Altman is the bootlegger, right? He's the first to the market. He's the guy who's there who's saying, we need to regulate this industry. Um, and in social media, Mark Zuckerberg is the bootlegger, right? He he has a social media company. Now he wants it regulated so that he can keep any new ones from competing with him. Mm -hmm. uh, additionally, that to, to, to make the choice between him and X less profound, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the Baptists in the space are the people who are writing in the times. Um, do you want to bring it up, this New York Times article? Let me yeah. give you, a, I want to give you a sense of like the AI safety people and how absolutely insane they are. Um, sorry, I pulled up the wrong article. I'm going to write, I'm going to read Different this with the right voice. 
and it's going to be a performance. Are you ready? <laughs> I cannot wait. Shut down all the large GPU clusters and the large computer farms where the most powerful AIs are reformed. Shut down all the large training runs. Put a ceiling on how much computing power anyone is allowed to use in training the AI system and move it downward over the coming years to compensate for more efficient training algorithms. I have the documents. All right. Uh, this, I'm not done. <laughs> Track all GPUs sold. If intelligence says that the country outside the agreement is building a GPU cluster, be less scared of, sh of a shooting conflict between nations than of the moratorium on AIs being violated. <laughs> Be willing to destroy a rogue data center by airstrike. Jeez. That's why I think that your article was actually probably fake news is because it's making fun of this insanity. There are no rogue data centers. This hasn't happened yet. No, the, guy that, the guy that wrote this is like AI ethics guy. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't think that this article is. Yeah, okay. His article earlier about like a flo one floating at sea. You know what? Oh, I'm so I looking see. forward to this being proved yeah, true. Yeah, because oh, you might always be. call me out on shit and then it turns out to be true. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, man. I, no, I, no, I wonder if it was a, not a planted story. At it could be. Right. Yeah. To generate hype. Yeah, because th this guy right here that wrote this, he's, he's like completely serious about airstriking rogue data centers. And, <laughs> like in case of robots taking over the world and stuff like that. Because this is what the AI safety people are talking about. And, and what that means is in order to keep an AI uh, operating system off your computer, we got to install spyware on every computer in the United States. Right. That's what the regulation to means. Keep us safe. Yeah, but if you believe in quantum entanglement, you don't need spyware. What? We'll get there some other time. <laughs> <laughs> I know what quantum entanglement it is. I don't know what that has to do with... You talk, we're talking about you quantum can, computing, computing? No, no, oh. no. It... it I'll, I'll send you some podcasts to listen to. Okay. <laughs> My ultimate source of truth <laughs> podcasts like this one. You can't like just bring one. that up and then not defend it. Yeah. You're killing the there. idea. The idea that, um, you know, all points in space and time are accessible at any point in space and time. Right. That's, that's a very oversimplification of quantum entanglement. Right. Well, it's like an atom in one place can be linked to an atom in another that can, they can affect each other. Right. And yes. Effectively. If you do that across all molecules, all atoms or whatever, you can manipulate any part of the universe from anywhere. Yeah. yeah, but but we've observed quantum entanglement because we in in atoms before, right? Yeah. But we've now how, how do we don't know how to generate quantum entanglement, right? I've well, never heard that. Who's we? Like, well, I'm talking about the existing scientific knowledge we have. We we know that that, that, that you know of that theoretically atoms can be entangled, but we don't have a, a method of what are you smiling at me for <laughs> i'm trying like i'm actually trying I'm to understand what you're talking you, about i'm oh, dragging okay. you down this rabbit hole uh, of uh, to nowhere we'll have to we'll, okay. we'll have to we'll have to talk about this another time uh, i will All send right. you some stuff to listen to it's very very interesting but it's out there so. okay well that's i'm not saying that what you were putting up were fake news to be clear what i'm saying is that there yes, was is that there's a lot of stuff being generated right now by mark andreessen and other folks and that it's kind of on the ai should be relatively unregulated space and pushing back against a lot of this stuff because there's not really an answer. And and typically as a society, we're motivated by safety right now. I mean, look at COVID. Oh yeah, totally. You know, safety over freedom. Right. So there has to be like an intellectual building up to push back against this to say like, no, no, no. We want AI to be reachable by the common person. We want open AI. We want this sort of stuff um, so that everyday people can get access to it. And there isn't a bootlegger Baptist capture of this problem issue technology um so mark andreessen uh, i was queuing this up for before but um it's the question of why do all the intellectuals follow the same pathway here and he has this defense of it on this podcast yeah and just to queue up mark andreessen 
uh, big tech investor. He's been at kind of at the forefront of all the major technology over the, he, he's a big uh, effective accelerationist guy, which is all about the acceleration of technology. His qualification is he built the browser. Yeah. The yeah. web browser. He invented it. Yeah. Yeah. He was mosaic. He was an early investor on pretty much every major tech innovation that you could, him and uh, it's uh, uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Um, and then he has a firm A16Z, which is investing in all the AI and the crypto and mm. all this stuff. But uh, yeah, this is, he's a great uh, intellectual figure in this uh, space. The, the, the problem with, you know, human affairs, right, is that if we're debating, you know, things that involve, you know, chemistry, <laughs> the, you know, that method works really well, um, you know, for a lot of social, political, you know, let's say broadly intellectual arguments, there's nothing like that exists, right? There's no testable hypothesis. There's no falsifiability. There's no empiricism. Um, you know, there's no, there's no way to run a test. There's no way to, there's no way to, 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 to run the scientific method. And, and, you know, it, it just so happens AI safety is one of those categories. And, and Tyler Cohen has been, you know, pointing this out recently, you know, he read all the literature on AI safety and it's like, okay, there's no peer reviewed, peer reviewed research. There's no model, you know, there's no test, there's no hypo, you know, there's no testable hypothesis. There's no empirical anything, you know, there is not an instance of, 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 of you know, this bad thing happening that's ever happened, you know, like it, it's not an empirical, it is not that the AI safety arguments are not framed empirically. They're not framed scientifically. Um, and so they're basically argued intellectually, right? And, and so when they're argued intellectually, now you're in the realm of intellectual arguments. And we have, you know, hundreds of years of history, basically understanding <laughs> what happens with intellectual arguments. And what happens with intellectual arguments, my interpretation uh, uh, is, uh, and a lot of other people's, is basically intellectual arguments. The problem with them is they, 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 they feel like they're rational and they feel like they're logical. But at the end of the day, they're mainly just a lot of words. Um, and then you get this kind of lawyer effect where the person who's better with words kind of wins because their words are better. Um, there, there's this great book. Um, there's a bunch of uh, great you know, books on this that I recommend. Thomas Sowell wrote one of, the, one of the definitive books on this called Intellectuals in Society, um, you know, where he, he kind of takes his head on and basically says, you know, wh why are intellectuals so often wrong on like big social topics? Um, uh, you know, and the, and the reason is because they, you know, they, they, they're the best at using words. And so they, they talk themselves and everybody else into believing things that aren't true. Um, there's this other great book that just came out called When Reason Goes on Holiday that specifically uh, talks about what happens when philosophers enter politics, which is sort of a, a category of this. Um, and, you know, the, and, and the results are catastrophic. So intellectuals are often wrong because they're better at using words. Basic comes in, down to it because this is the kind of the thing about the AI safety and the AI ethics folks is there's no actual like science that's going on. They're, they're not sciencing. They're just like hy hypothecating potential theoreticals that aren't really based in current reality of where the technology is in any meaningful fashion. And that so, can't be tested. Yeah. And they, yeah. And they're, they're not testing. Like they're just being like, well, what if robots took over the world? <laughs> and, and that's it. There's no, like, this is how the robots are going to take over the world. There's, there's none of that. It's just like a religious, a religiosity around the topic. It's these, uh, kind of these, uh, there's this, this doomerism that exists there. Well, meanwhile, all the innovators and all the funders and all this stuff, they're actually like, they actually know what's going on because they're actually involved in the technology, right? There, I, I think there isn't a, been a good faith effort by um, the kind of intermediaries here of the press to kind of understand what this technology is so that people can do a good job about understanding what the risks are. Right. And that's, and that's that, that fundamental assumption. Like what if it could motivate itself to do these things? And it's like, well, no, we'd have to program it to do that. So what, what we need to do is make sure that it's, yeah, it's, it's bad to use technology to do terrible things, but we already have that. And we wouldn't be able to get more press out of that 
Biden wouldn't be able to put out more new rules to make himself look good to better promote himself for his reelection campaign. If it was just, oh, we've already criminalized murder, even murder with robots. It's still murder. <laughs> well, and so there's there's become kind of several different factions in the AI dialogue, too. And Mark is somebody that would put himself in the effective accelerationist faction, which is basically like there's cults forming around this. This is what's <laughs> happening. And, and they're, they're all very cognizant of the, that there's these cults. But um, effective accelerationism is specifically meant to be kind of a, a nod and antagonistic towards the effective, uh, the effective altruists, which is like Sam Bankman Freed and <laughs> Davos. And like, it's very purposely been framed that way as a, um, but you, you end up having kind of the AI risk category, which is the, the, um, which is the AI safety, AI ethics people, which are, they want the state to just stop um, general intelligence with AI. They, they just want the, the government to come in and crack down on it. Like the Times article. Yeah, right. like, the, like the Times article. Airstrikes. Then you have kind of the, there's the effective accelerationists. There's like the centralized folks and the decentralized folks. The centralized folks, um, they're fine with the AI, AI just kind of as, as long as the government kind of monopolize, helps monopolize it into central entities. And this would be the uh, Sam Altman types um because he, he's not necessarily like the ai risk because he's obviously developing the technology right, right. Um, then you have the the kind of uh decentralized folks and where which would be the andresons there or the martin Shkreli's or you know like those types of people and they're wanting they just want to proliferate everything it's like this is like guns almost like you should everybody should have everybody should have them for their own safety because this is an arms race um, and then you kind of have like the crypto folks that are kind of inter interweaving with them. This is kind of where the technology factions are uh, sitting right now, mm. right? I think the Second Amendment analogy is the right one, mm. right? What you want is the right to access the new technology as it comes out so that you can be on the forefront of, you know, pushing it and leveraging it to be more productive and to do and get access to the things that you want, uh, that you need that make your life better, right? That that should be that's like I don't know how to distinguish between that and a right to economic commerce and a right to the freedom to contract, right? It's it's the same thing, um, but the difference is we're talking about GPUs, right? And your right to like these guys want to regulate how many who they want a list of everybody who buys a computer, right? That's what the AI safety people want, just so that they can know you might be running a rogue AI. We need spyware on your computer to keep you from doing it. We need mm -hmm. every GPU registered. Yeah, and meanwhile they want to you know prevent you from having three D printers and stuff too in the in the physical realm, right? Mm. They pre prevent pre prevent you from producing things they don't want you to produce, like well, a gun. Like a and gun. ultimately they want to control it. Like, like it seems like these large state apparatuses, like they want a very minority report like system where they can kind of use it to predict and prevent crime, and and it's it's a very safety control moral framework. Narratives, yeah, yeah, and the, narr the narrative control, yeah. For sure. It's about having a monopoly on the technology. Mm -hmm. If it's widely dispersed, individuals are empowered, and then that's a threat to the, to the state. Yeah, so at the end of the day, it's like just the proliferation of the technology. It's, it's how much do you want it to be proliferated? How much can it be within the individuals versus the state? Um, and that's really where I think the arguments on the regulatory side are. It's just like, do can individuals have control over this technology, or should it all be within centralized entities? Is it just like, is it just open AI with government backing that can control it? Or can you as an individual go onto the internet and use these technologies yourself? I think there's also an argument to be made that um, like strategically, it would probably make like give America more of an advantage 
if it was widely disseminated because you know, we, with more freedom, there's more innovation, there's more like development, right, and progress. And we know that like our enemies around the world, like China, for example, like that will be state controlled. And we are kind of in an arms race, so to speak, with this technology with, you know, other nation states. And I think they're having state control over it is eventually it'll inherently limit it. And so if we in opposition to some a state like China have it's more widely disseminated and we get more innovation through it just through individual use of it. I would think ultimately in the long run that would put us at an advantage technologically over someone like China. Yeah. I would guess that China's going to have a mixed, they're going to have a state capitalist response, right? Anyone can start a new AI firm, right? But if you get large enough, the, you're going to have party members who regulate you and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right? It's yeah. that, that I think that's a more accurate descriptor <clears throat> of the Chinese system. They're not going to just have a large slush fund of research from their equivalent of the NSA, right? They're going to allow a much broader use and then you think? capture the whoever's on top. That's typically how, that's how Alibaba was formed. That's how TikTok was formed. All these things all start out with actual entrepreneurs. That's, right, but then it's like fully like managed by the state once at it gets a large point. Enough, yeah. But that's they, the same then as they our give system. Them a CCP representative like, on the yeah, board. The thing sure, that drives right. me crazy about China is that and we talk about it like it's not us. The thing that drives me crazy <laughs> yeah, kind of fair, is yeah. GM is bailed out by our federal government every 10 years and no one talks about it. Yeah, that's right? fair. It drives me crazy that they're like, oh, they're state run. Are you kidding me? <laughs> GM's <laughs> union has more power in the Democrat Party than, than, than the average Democrat does. You think they have okay. less power than the Communist Party has over the industries of, of, of China? Come on. Like we live in state capitalism too. That's the problem. That's what makes me different than uh, uh, like the, the average like status Republican type or conservative who's just like whatever the status quo is great. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Since the progressive era, we've been state capitalists too. The Chinese were just communists and rather than involving, well, we evolved from freedom to state capitalism. They went from communism to state capitalism. So we've kind of That's come from different difference. sides towards yes. the middle yeah. of this. Yes, well, we're exactly it's, the same. It's, it's basically Mussolini fascism, really. Yeah. Like, and it's just the Chinese Communist Party, like they just have that name and it's just held over from a previous time. Like they're just a fascist party. They're no longer communism failed in the 20th yeah. century. Like communism's gone. The only communist state anymore is North Korea. Yeah. Well, in terms like, of their economics, for sure. But yeah. like Xi Jinping is like openly a fan of Mao and is like yeah, becoming more isolationist right. and like they're in asserting more control over industry than sure. it had been in the past. So, yeah. And they have their own factions, right? They have their liberals mm-hmm. yeah, in the classical sure sense do. who want a more open society, who don't want who, who don't like <laughs> Xi Jinping. And then they have their their like the government needs to control everybody people and they're battling it out within well, the politics of the of the chinese communist party and the 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 ones who want more control are winning because there's yes i mean like l- almost every week there's a ccp official that disappears in part in part because of the rally around the flag out. yeah in part because of the rally around the flag phenomena right our trade war with them you know, creates a tremendous incentive for them to rally around against America. Our, our building sure. bases all over Taiwan and getting involved in Taiwan this way that violates our 1970s agreement with China about Taiwan provokes them and it gives more ammo to the side that wants state control, militarism, and nationalism. It doesn't help the liberals in China. Um, and then lastly, like, hey, don't get me wrong. Like China's been a bad actor because they're a government, right? Their Chinese government is a bad actor. I, I don't think any government's a good actor. Uh, but the, the, the question I always have about that 
is we kind of see it like they are still the USSR when they're not, right? And we, we so what's probably going to happen for AI returning to that is a broad permissiveness, permissivelessness because they're not worried about human rights, right? They're not worried about equity. They're not going to have these these controls that they that they're not going to be worried about safety. They're going to be broad, and then they're going to capture as it gets larger. But they do they do have concerns about like political narratives, and sure. they manage that right. right, like very tightly yeah. on you know in, in terms of internet access there. So I would yeah. I would think in that way. Yeah. Th- their concerns are just AI. different than ours. Like yeah. our concerns are like whether or not people are bullying trans people and theirs are like, <laughs> like much, <laughs> whether much you're questioning bigger. the state. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And yeah. they're just more overt about it. And that's, that's, that's what drives me crazy, right? Cause you, you can, you can't question, can you question the election results from 2016? Yeah. Can you question the one from 2020? No. Right. Fair enough. I totally. Mean, like, yeah. like, we are our enemy. All right. So <laughs> hold on. I have, I have a thought here. I think it might yeah. tie us into the next topic. There's an interesting corollary, I think, between the people that want AI regulation and uh, what Elon referred to kind of as like death cults on the Joe Rogan podcast, right? Mm. And an interesting thing, and just the last bit on the AI piece, uh, there, there, there is a contingent of those folks that exist that, that cross over, right, on the Venn diagram. And, and what we've been talking about so far is that mostly from the perspective of people who don't want AI to destroy humanity. But there are people who want there to be less people on the planet and think that that's a thing that we need to do. So what if, and this is another what if, of course, what if those people are actively leveraging AI to produce that outcome intentionally? Last thing I'll say on it. So, and and really that, I think that that right there stems with Elon's uh, arguments about AI is he's worried about the people at the helm of it, which is right. the, the centralized nature of it right, is right. what people is what he's concerned about. What if the, what if the M4 was just invented and the only people who had it was Sam Altman and you're like, Ugh. you know, like that would freak you out. Right. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. I don't know what Sam, who Sam Altman's going to give that to. Right. If it, since it's distributed, we're less worried about it as Americans, right? That's how we conceptualize the use of a weapon for good or evil. Give it to everybody. A well-armed society is a polite society. Exactly. Yeah. AI would be the same question. I also think too, that like, so we noted earlier that um, culturally Americans sadly today are valuing safety over freedom, right? And traditionally sort of our elk would value freedom over safety. And I think that's just like, there's culturally, like we, we don't, we've kind of lost that understanding that like with great fr- freedom comes like the risk of danger, but the benefits of it outweigh that risk. Mm. And when you guys were talking about Bitcoin last week, I had this, this thought came up for me that like, even if Hamas was using Bitcoin to fund their terrorism, isn't that kind of like the the trade-off and the risk that we're willing to take to have that level of financial freedom and independence? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily like a problem in my mind. Well, and th- there and is the same with AI. There is a bootlegger and Baptist phenomenon that exists there because that's often always the critique that gets made of like, oh, we have to imprison the founder of Tornado Cash because like, this North Korean hacker group uses tornado cash. Right. But it's like also all these other people use it. Right. Right. Or there's criminal charges being laid out out of Binance because Hamas used Binance for a $600 transaction. (laughs) You know, it's like, so like, like that's what they get targeted for. Right. You know, it, it becomes the same type of phenomenon and the irony use it like that. And the irony is the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world are the ones saying cryptos are Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Yeah, Right. The the (laughs) government, the worst actor in money, is saying we don't want the competition from private money and that's why we mm-hmm. can't have Hamas having crypto. And it's like, don't get me wrong, 
don't want to fund terror groups, but if the trade-off for that is giving every person on the planet access to money that doesn't lose their value every year, maybe that's worth it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to be fair, a lot of crypto is a is filled with Ponzi schemes, but yeah. a lot of technology in general and investment and finance is also just filled with Ponzi schemes. Yeah. Like it's like criticizing Bitcoin versus criticizing Harry Potter Sonic Emu coin. You know, like it's like, <laughs> it's, like it, it's very different, right? Wait, wait, what's what's the what's the trading on Harry Potter? Harry uh, Potter. Yeah, sorry, Sonic it's it's, Ob- it's Obama Harry Potter Sonic Emu coin, and it's it's ticker is Bitcoin. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Right. something like that you know like yeah, but wow. there's a lot of that type of stuff that exists right but that works well on the algorithm oh yeah no it does it's yeah. up like 200 percent yesterday <laughs> <laughs> wow not financial advice not financial, not financial advice, advice. <laughs> um, why is joe rogan wearing a wig yeah so uh was so this halloween leading into the it, this was the halloween episode um but leading into uh um this uh elon musk was on rogan and just kind of the precursor to this clip is he's explaining how a lot of the details around buying Twitter and how there was this very small niche ideology that exists within San Francisco that is kind of just kind of happens to happen to have control over this massive information weapon that is Twitter. Right. And just kind of, they're all nestled in the same region, which is all these cults around San Francisco basically. But here is Elon Musk explaining how there is effectively a death cult. Yeah. I don't think you're melodramatic at all. I, I, I think it's a, it's a, I mean, I don't want to be melodramatic, but it's almost like a death cult. It's a death cult. No, it, no, it, it, that is exactly right. Um, it, it, uh, it, it's essentially the uh, extinctionists. Like, it's in the limit. It is that they're propagating uh, the extinction of humanity and civilization. Um, and, and there's some people who are, are like, most, most of the time, it, it's, it's implicit. They don't explicit. But sometimes it's explicit. Like, there was a guy on the front page of the New York Times uh, who literally has the thing called the extinctionist movement. Um, and he was quoted on the front page of the New York Times as saying, uh, there are 8 billion people on the world, but it would be better if there were none. And I'm like, well, buddy, you can start with yourself. Yeah. Um, oh. Does he have friends? That's what always fascinates me. <laughs> well, here he is. That guy. Uh, he looks like he's not long for this earth. I mean, he doesn't... Voluntary young. human extinction movement. That's hilarious. Pe- pe- spend de- I'd like to party with that dude. Okay. I would just like to like. That's yeah. the, that's 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 the death. That's the, that's an explicit version of the death cult. Yeah, maybe the extinction you live long cult. and die out. It's. I mean, it's it's not. Uh, extinction is a word he uses. Yes. No, I mean, it's not a. It's literally a self description. Do they cover that death him cult Was in charge of social social media. Yeah. And still largely is at uh, Google and Facebook, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm not in favor of uh, human extinction. Uh, they are, and uh, they can go to hell. Well, that guy is. Agreed. And, yeah. Wow. That's what the modern environmental movement has devolved into. Right. It's fundamentally anti-human. And it's the natural, like, human extinction is the natural uh, conclusion. Like, that's the rational conclusion you would come to if you think that, like, humans are somehow separate from nature and that we're basically a plague on the earth. Then... I realized we a, should be gone. a rather interesting paradox about this the other day that the logical conclusion in the climate alarmist mind is that the earth is going to superheat and it's going to kill off humans and everything, right? And then the solution to that is that we need less humans to create less carbon to not superheat the earth to kill off 
humans. So it's sort of like <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, the the outcome on both sides is no humans or less humans or whatever it is. So it, to me, it's like, well, why don't you just let it do its thing, right? That that would eventually achieve the same end. Well, the irony there is that is that the larger the population, the more ability you have to solve the problems of the climate. Yeah. Right. So if you have a larger population, especially given, uh, are you familiar with the human abundance index? Yes. We've, we've talked, talked about, about it before. before, like every, every human, uh, you know, has an output of like of greater than their, their input, their, right. their intake of resources. So the more you provide abundance, uh, is well, one, 1. 1.7. So everyone produces themselves and 0. 0.7 more. That's, that's why we're able to generate more wealth. Every generation is because we produce for the next one and they produce for themselves eventually. So the, um, each person, as they are born and come into productivity, create the opportunity to solve problems, right? So such as, uh, even if it's just you're an HVAC worker and you put AC into a new place and then the less people die because you have AC now, right? Or you uh, spread out more so you have less environmental impact on a small area or you concentrate and you build up and you have less environmental impact in, in the natural, na- nature's environment um, that you keep separate from humans. Each of those are all aspects of having more people to create more things so that you can make that choice. So there's something called an environmental Kuznets curve, which basically oh, yeah. shows, I'm sure you guys are familiar, but for the audience. Is it Kuznets? Kuznets. I thought it was Kuznets. Oh, man. I think you're thinking Kurzweil. I'm hooked on phonics, man. I see you, Kurz. Okay. Go I've ahead. always pronounced it yeah, Kuznets. Yeah, please define. I'm probably the economist here. The, the, yes, uh, we, we defer to you. <laughs> the idea, though, is that, you know, sort of as, as nations develop, they end up, they, they use more resources, they pollute more, but then they reach this point on the curve where they've reached basically like a threshold of wealth um, and prosperity where they're able to devote resources and time to improving the environment. Because environmental quality is is really a luxury good, right? It's not a necessity for life. Now, ultimately, if you completely destroy the planet, then human life can't exist. It's one thing. Mm -hmm. But the idea of polluting a river doesn't necessarily prohibit you from, you know, uh, like building shelter and having food to survive, right? Um, So, and, and this has been played out like in the real world. You can see like throughout the Western world, Europe and the United States, you know, well, North America and and Europe, basically you can see parts of Asia, you can see where, um, the, like now they've basically reached this threshold of wealth where forests are, you know, forest landscapes are being reforested. There's a greening across Europe, right? We have innovated enough that we have technology to produce more food on less land so now there's less arable farmland that can be you know returned to wildlife habitat etc um and so this is like this key factor that the modern environmental movement completely misses when they criticize capitalism for you know exploiting the earth in reality like capitalism creates the wealth to actually have the ability to care for the earth Mm -hmm. um and you can see this playing out in like the amazon where the Amazon's being deforested by people that are by ranchers and farmers that are clearing land to raise food and cattle to for their livelihood and to feed their communities. Like that's a fundamental need those people have. And then you have like rich NGOs from Europe telling them that you can't do that. Well, what is their other source of income? What are they going to do? You know, and 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 if we allowed these countries to develop fully and go down the same path that we all had the luxury to go down, they would eventually reach this threshold of wealth where they can reinvest in their environment. And, and, and I think the other fundamental flaw of the environmental left is that 
they view nature in this like super static way. Um, and of course, nature's not static, it's dynamic and it's constantly changing. And we have this idea that we want to like freeze environmental, like, I don't even know, like we want to freeze carbon emissions at 1900 levels mm -hmm. for, you know, whatever subjective reason, right? And who's to say that that is somehow more optimal than, you know, today's levels, right? Or, or levels from 20,000 years ago, or how about like during the medieval warm period when it was warmer than today? You know, like there's just, anyway, it, it's so subjective um, well, it's, and it, it's it, shallow. It, it makes sense when you understand <clears throat> that the goal is to reduce human impact, not to make human life better. Exactly. Right? If yeah, you see right. it as an original sin, it makes sense. If you see it as we need to have an environment so that humans can enjoy it, that's a different thing. One of the reasons why we're reforesting Europe is because we burnt it all. Right to heat our homes and to right. cook our food. And one of the reasons why we don't, why we don't have to use the same amount of farmland is because we invented GMOs. Right. And now we don't have to have the same amount of landscape to produce the same amount of crop. We have yep. more intensive crops on a smaller plot of land so we can save more. Uh, and now if you cover all the land with um, solar panels, <laughs> yeah. there's less forest land. Right. Uh, these are the trade-offs that are real and these trade-offs are best navigated in a, in a free society for sure. So taking this back to Twitter, the reason why the purchase of Twitter was such a big deal is because Elon makes the case in the podcast, or, you know, which I don't recommend anyone listen to because he chews on pizza. Like L listen to the first 45 really? minutes oh. and, and then it gets kind of, it gets kind of rough, man. Oh, man. But, uh, <laughs> um, by the I way, I, I, I ordered that. us a pizza too. I just did. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we Thanks. will pause for pizza, sir. Um, it was, was that the Twitter had this thing and they were being run as an advocacy organization for this philosophy that we're, uh, we're trying to articulate in why it's so wrong. Um, and, you know, that's the, that was what was happening. And, and additionally, that we now know that Twitter was essentially an arm of the government. Elon makes that point. But Rand Paul was also grilling uh, the FBI on this uh, actually this week uh, about the role that they had, uh, including compensating Twitter uh, for their time. Director A, did the FBI, FBI pay Twitter money to moderate uh, content moderation? I'm not aware of us paying money to moderate content there or anywhere what else. The, what was the $3 million for that the FBI gave that's been revealed in Twitter files, which has been characterized by those writing the Twitter files as payment for content moderation? Basically, they said Twitter... You know, you guys were meeting with them all the time. You had them taking down so many posts. They said, well, gosh, it's a lot of work. Why don't you pay us? And so you did. You paid them $3 million. Are you aware of the payment? I, well, I'm not aware of that specific payment, but I can tell you that when it comes to payments, uh, going back well over four decades, when we are required by federal law, when a company, like in this instance a provider, uh, goes through expenses to produce information, uh, we're required to reimburse them for those expenses. And so I think that a lot of the questions about payments revolve around exactly that. And you will repeat under oath that there was never any discussion of the FBI uh, to take down constitutionally protected speech. You think it's all national security, child pornography, sex trafficking, no discussion of constitutionally protected speech because this is all going to come out, and a lot of it's come out already in depositions, but you're saying there was never any discussion by any of your agents in any of these meetings of constitutionally protected speech being taken down. To my knowledge, our agents conducted themselves in compliance with the law throughout. 
It's a political answer. <laughs> and then his mouth quivers very <laughs> suspiciously. Right? He's like, <laughs> to my knowledge, <laughs> like he really wanted to say something else, but he just couldn't do it. He looked incredibly nervous to me that entire time. And the fact that he used to check his notes. He's like making sure he reads the answer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. It's all yeah. well rehearsed. Checks my notes. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall. <laughs> to my knowledge. So what's our knowledge about Sam Bankman Freed? Oh, you, you want to jump right to that? Yeah. We um, that okay. So, um, so, Last week, we talked about Sam Bankman-Fried and some of the stuff that was going on in that trial. It was going on for the past like two weeks. Um, as of last night, he has been found guilty on all charges. So um, something I would like to just remind people is I, I would like, I think it's a very important reminder that um, Sam here, he was the one that was operating the safe and regulated exchange that everyone was hyped up on. And he was like the only one talking to regulators. And uh, he's like the only one that could get a phone call with uh, Gary, Gary Gensler at the SEC. Like Gary won't talk to any of the other um, exchanges. And Sam is now the one that is charged with wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud against FTX customers, wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud against Alameda lenders, which was the um, like the trading arm that was operated by his girlfriend, uh, um, Caroline Elson. Conspiracy to commit securities fraud against FTX investors, conspiracy to commit commodities fraud against FTX and uh, customers, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. And his sentencing is going to be happening March 28th, 2024, with a maximum imprisonment of 115 years. So he could be, he's probably somewhere between 30 and life. That's probably where he's going to be ending up here. Wild. I mean, I have to say, this is surprising to me, going back to when kind of these the the ftx fraud case really first broke mm. i did expect that his donations to politically influential people would buy him out of this uh but it appears that maybe that that was too transparent and that had that happened it would have been like just too obvious and they you know they weren't able to to pull his ass out of the fire well there is like a sense like the the, the doomer crowd right in this space the people who are so blackpilled on the political process and the judicial branch is just like oh there's no way he pays any, any price because you know, in my reading of history, he, you know, people don't, um, you calling me a doomer. Well, I think you're being a bit of a pessimist about it. <laughs> maybe, right. Maybe. I mean, in the sense that like, I, and I was too, I was like, this looks sketchy, especially when they dropped two charges right off the bat. Um, but I mean, 30 That's, to life is a real some thing. of those charges had to do with political donations. If I remember. Correctly. Yeah. 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 So I they just covered their own butts. Yeah. I think they've just tried to like distance themselves from him and now he's the fall guy. Right. Yeah. And they're just like, well, yeah. you're screwed. No one's going to step out on a ledge to help you, but we're also going to make sure the media doesn't talk about any of the donations we received or right. where that money is or how we're using it. I, right. I do love the internet because all these tweets from last year, cause this, this all happened like this time last year. So it's been a year of this. Um, all these tweets from kind of big uh, political actors that were coming out in support of Sam when all this was happening have now been resurfacing over last night. And it's just like you have like Bill Ackman, who's like the activist investor. And he's just like, call me crazy. But I think Sam, but I think uh, Sam was doing good. <laughs> you know, and so like people are just like retweeting those now and yeah. things like that. Um it does go to show you just how much of this is social network, not like people making rational conclusions about investments or um, not people just looking at project for its own worth. They're saying, oh, this guy gives, gives me the right cocktail party. So that's why I'm going to recommend FTX. And additionally, this is a huge win for the market, right? Not to be too libertarian nerd about it, but this was the so-called good actor, you know, well, Coinbase, Coinbase, which is like the most 
the largest, like, and easiest way to buy most crypto uh, with dollars or even to exchange with a lot of crypto with their trading platform uh, or Binance or these other ones that are longstanding in the crypto community. You got this guy who comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden is loved by everybody because he has the right connections to go into the mainstream. It's that guy that got that got taken down, not the people who've been in the movement for a very long time working on developing cryptocurrency. You know, those folks aren't the ones who got in trouble here. Uh, and yet they're not going to get any credit from it. And the, and the SEC isn't going to say like, oh, well, you know, Coinbase, you're now going to be regulated fairly. They're going to continue persecuting them because what they want is the benefits of crypto without the, you know, what it does to fight censorship and what it does to fight government. Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, has publicly said that um, Gary Gensler at the SEC has never sat down with a meeting with him, no matter how much they've tried. And they're <laughs> right. the largest exchange in America. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe. Um yeah, and also uh, some people that don't get enough credit in the early days of all this too is because Sam really was like the art lobbying arm of the crypto industry. It was like he was the only one that could get uh, a seat at the table in Washington, it seemed like. And uh, 11 days before FTX, FTX's collapse, um, a guy named Eric Voorhees, who's very big in the crypto space, he's um, kind of like kind of this ANCAP um, coder, philosopher, cypherpunk type of guy. Um, he was a, a lot of the... Uh, early development on decentralized exchanges, which are direct competitors to people like Sam and centralized exchanges. Uh, he had a debate with Sam on the Bankless podcast 11 days before the collapse. And you have Sam being all like fritzy and on his meds kind of a thing. And, uh, and it, the debate was on the regulatory side of like, the crypto industry does not like your lobbying efforts. <laughs> um, and these are all the problems that we're having with here. And uh, Eric Voorhees just completely decimated Sam in this, in, in this uh, debate. And, uh, and it really made a lot of people look at it and being like, oh, we're kind of sketched out by Sam. <laughs> and this was like 11 days before the collapse happened. Mm. So it does, it does show like internally within the industry here of how much um, Sam wasn't necessarily well liked within the industry itself. He was liked by everybody outside of the in in industry. It was everybody outside that was propping him up. The, the crypto natives did not like Sam. We thought that he was he was a negative aspect of the of the movement of the industry as a whole. So um, I, I'm I'm completely glad all this happened. I hope he gets life. <laughs> right here. <laughs> I hate that little nerd. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> The IMF put out propaganda to explain to the plebs what inflation is. They didn't mention the money supply. I wonder why. The Biden administration bypassed 26 federal laws to build additional border wall in South Texas. Somehow they still managed to blame Republicans for this horribly racist act. A Pentagon official was charged by federal authorities with promoting and furthering an illegal dogfighting ring in Maryland. The Republican caucus did not appreciate the characterization. For all these stories and more, join the Discord. To let us know what we should cover in the next episode of human reaction all right so uh this has been a very nice podcast with uh not a lot of low points time to um, ruin it let's let's, <laughs> let's make sure we just dive right into the human tragedy of our foreign policy if you've enjoyed this show so far thanks for watching we'll see you in the next one <laughs> if you want to hang out with us and go to go to world war three land this is for you <laughs> we got laughs upcoming we got one good joke wait for it yeah just wait no for yeah it. yeah we do we do have a, a light-hearted way of dealing with this right <laughs> but uh yeah what's going on with ukraine here we got we got a bunch of ukraine news in here what's going on with this guys 
Yeah, so they um, there's a story that Time released earlier this week um, that was pretty revelatory, and it's largely been um, kind of ignored. There was it kind of trended on Twitter briefly um, the day it was published, but with everything happening, um, all of our focus being on Israel and Palestine, um, this has largely been ignored. Um, and I have a I have a tweet in the the show notes that I think would be worth pulling up because um, it kind of summarizes some of the key points. Uh, but I wanted to run through some of those. Um, so basically, the interviewer spoke with a bunch of different um, Ukrainian officials and um, aides to Zelensky and kind of got the inside scoop on, you know, morale around the war effort, the status of the war effort, uh, corruption within the government. Um, so here's here are some of some of the highlights. Um, a top Ukrainian presidential advisor warned that, quote, people are stealing like there's no tomorrow. Um, 59% of Americans don't want Congress to provide more weapons to Kiev, um, which is up from 35% in June. So support is falling. The Ukrainians are uh, acutely aware of that and are sort of panicking about it. Um, Ukraine has a pretty dramatic shortage of soldiers. Um, and it's far more dire than people realize. Um, the average uh, age of a Ukrainian sh- soldier is 43 years old right now. Um, so they're like desperately, um, honestly, it sounds like forcing elderly people, <laughs> like men in their like 50s and early 60s to fight. Um, and literally there's stories of draft uh, officers pulling people off of buses and Jeez. like pulling them out of public mm-hmm. and oh, wow. sending them to the front lines. Um uh, Zelensky's close advisor warned that, quote, he deludes himself. We're out of options. We're not winning. But try telling him that. Um, and then also another yeah. sad thing that, um, you know, Ukraine ha- has refused since the beginning to release like official um, casualty counts. Um, but according to like third party estimates, like from the U.N. and the U.S., um, they they think that it's well over 100,000 people at this point. And they were saying that like. I don't know, four months ago, five months ago. So it's probably, it could be significantly higher than a hundred thousand. Um, and so I think for, for the folks at this table, this isn't surprising, um, but for much of the public it is. Um, and the story goes into it that, um, and it was obvious that like the Biden administration has been trying to downplay Ukrainian corruption for a very long, since the beginning of this, and also since he's been making money and his family's been making money off of their connections, this shady Ukrainian oligarchs. But um, I mean, that was like well known and well established for years that Ukraine was kind of, I mean, that's why it was never really, well, one reason why it never um, was considered for uh, actual like real membership into NATO. Cause it like never met the qualifications because it, it's always been so corrupt. Um, and that didn't stop NATO from repeating like maybe next year. Oh, totally. Know, like, yeah. <laughs> and I think they only have done that ju- tr- just to provoke Russia, oh, really, sure. um, which is a whole other thing. But this story to me is, well, I think it illuminates a couple things. One, that the tide is turning, right? Public opinion has totally shifted. And I think, you know, the Times wouldn't write this story if there wasn't sort of a, if there wasn't political will for this to be published. And maybe I'm too cynical, but I mean the media is like the fourth estate, right? Like mm. they are, they do the bidding of the Democrat party. That's pretty well established. Right. So I, I think the fact that this story was published and it was so candid about this, I think that signals that 
the administration is starting to think differently about the conflict. Mm. Um, and, and maybe only because there's, they're being forced to right? like it's, they can't keep a lid on this any longer. Um, and it also really illuminates that like, it's well, it's just so it's sad because we've pro, we provoked this conflict. We've prolonged this conflict. We've totally thwarted any efforts to um, find a negotiation and a peace deal to end it. And we are ultimately going to end up at that place. Mm-hmm. Ukraine is not going to have a total victory and it's not going to end that way. It wasn't on the table for a year, right? Like right. That's just been, that's always been absurd. Totally. Standard. But it was, a, it was obviously everyone got the joke because it was about inspiring the troops when everyone knew it wasn't a possible goal. Right. Right. So then, and then it could justify more spending and all the money made off that spending and sure. the corruption on both sides. And right? totally. This, this has and been the realist perspective too, <clears throat> is that eventually we're going to have to come to some sort of a peace deal where some of the region gets given over to Russia or whatever. Yeah. And it's always been like, we either do the peace deal now or we wait until tons of people are dead. We've and ruined we do a the, generation. And, and we do the peace yeah, deal then. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's what's so sick about it is that, I mean, we've, we've killed hundreds of thousands of like young Ukrainian men and decimated a generation and completely impoverished that nation, which of course, you know, the IMF is going to have to step in and and figure out how to rebuild it. And BlackRock has already volunteered to help lead that effort. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's just so, it's so shameful and cynical that we were just for geopolitical reasons, we were willing to expend that many lives. Well, additionally, I mean, the geopolitical goal from the neocons was to, and they, and the, and the Republicans that have tried to defend the war has been to degrade the Russian military. Did we degrade the Russian military sufficiently enough to make it worthwhile? And right. how many graves were we willing to stand on of Ukrainian bodies to do so? That's the gross part that's so wild, right? And meanwhile, a certain group of people who all happen to live within a couple of miles of Washington, D.C. got enormously rich by having their weapons and products and things purchased and sent over there. Totally. Well, it's, it's similar to the Mark Andreessen thing with the AI stuff is like there's been a lot of intellectuals and philosophers and like intellectualizing the arguments, but the empirical data is just that there's hundreds of thousands of people that are dying and it's not in Ukraine is not winning. Like we've had, we've been sold this lie for a year and a half now of Ukraine. Ukraine's got this. They're they're going to beat the big Russian, you know, military, and right. uh, they're the, they're the underdogs in this story, and they're winning this. And we've had to deal with that for that narrative for a, for a year and a half now. It, it was pretty shocking too. Like if you look back at like coverage from even just like six months ago, how stark the difference was between what like mainstream U.S. media was saying and what the reality on the ground was. I mean, it almost was like comical. Like if you tuned into I don't know Fox or something or MSNBC, you'd have this sense that like Ukraine's this plucky underdog that's about to win any second. And then if you tune into like less popular but like kind of nitty gritty sources looking at this stuff, like mm-hmm. military sources, it was very clear that they weren't winning. I mean, it was almost like a complete one eighty of what we were being told. And same on the corruption front. Um, and I think there's also a point to be made here too about like the elites running Ukraine and in the government there, how serious are they about winning this war? And have they ever really thought they could? Mm. Because if they really, in my opinion, if they were serious about winning, they wouldn't be skimming off the top of every single shipment that we're sending them. And that is what's happening. That's what the corruption looks like. 
Like every, and <laughs> I mean, and Zelensky's been basically the White House lean, and the story goes into this, like leaned on Zelensky, like you got to fire some people to at least make it look like you're addressing the corruption, yeah. you know? But basically these oligarchs that are like, you know, heads of different divisions, even the recruiting division, everyone's taking bribes and everyone's basically sort of the structure of it is, um, I guess we're providing funds to pay for, you know, these various supplies or whatever it is. And those companies are all charging exorbitant prices for those supplies Mm. and just like taking the difference basically. And we're just, and we taxpayers are just funding it, you know? So they're lining their pockets. Do they really give a shit about the front line? I've seen reports like video interviews with, with soldiers who are like no longer, they were deployed and they're not anymore because they've been injured or whatever. And and they talk about having to provide their own, like buy their own guns for themselves hmm. and like procure their own food. Really? Yeah. Wow. Totally. And morale is like complete, you know, it's totally decimated. And like basically anyone who has means can buy their way out of going to the front lines. So now it's just like the poor masses that are being sent, which I guess is everywhere. But anyway, it's pretty gross. Yeah. And it- the motivations, I think, through and through for the vast majority of the elites that have dragged us and them into this war, it was just about making money. And where is the accountability? And when is that going to happen? Yeah. I mean, it didn't right. happen after the Iraq war. All the same people who said how great Iraq was going to be uh, for uh, the security of the globe, Benjamin Netanyahu, or uh, what was the guy with the mustache that uh, that was on Fox News like every day for Michael Bolton? Bolton. Michael Bolton. No <laughs> yeah. price. Never forget no, that not mustache. Michael Bolton. That's the artist. John, John. John. <laughs> Michael Bolton. God damn you, Michael right. Bolton. I'm so sorry, Michael Bolton. Yeah. I never meant to do that. John to Bolton. John. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> mustache himself, John Bolton. John Bolton. That's, wow. Quite the that's hilarious. Michael uh, Bolton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's so funny. That makes me think of Office Space when they're like, "Oh, you must really be a fan of Michael Bolton." Yes, guys. We need you to pull up a picture of Michael Bolton. <laughs> yeah. Cut it over. I gotta say that has happened at the news network I worked for when Bolton resigned. We put a picture of Michael Bolton up, and <laughs> that's, uh, not just that's the most embarrassing. That's thing hilarious. I've ever seen. Oh yeah. That's great. <laughs> So yeah, John Bolton paid no price. I mean, they will now, they are now rolling out um, Bush and praising him about how great he is. Yeah, that is not even close. He is way (laughs) more handsome. He does not have a nice mustache. That's what I always think of is the the pirate. The Lonely Island uh, song with him is just so awesome. Look look at that mop, dude. Looks like a walrus. He does. Yeah, He's got a Lorax vibe. Mr. Mustache Uh, himself. He he claims he's a libertarian too. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. He's pro-choice, so that's all he needs to know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> all right. that's all he needs. That's all libertarianism is. <laughs> <laughs> pro-choice Republican. Yeah. Yeah. Libertarian. Yeah. Cool. Oh, man. So that's, that's exactly. Uh, so we, we have to change our culture around this sort of thing as Americans. We have to decide to hold our, um, our public officials and our intellectual figures accountable to this disaster uh, when it's, uh, you know, as it's winding down ish that maybe that's the way to interpret it. That's probably not right. Um, as we get distracted by new emergencies like the Israel Hamas conflict, um, obviously this is getting less attention. So now the media can afford to come out and say, well, there's corruption here and we better do something about it. Can you believe how much corruption is? This is always how it works. Horrifying things are happening. Someone comes out and says, there's a horrifying bad thing to happen. And everyone piles on them because the current culture and then culture cult is saying, hey, 
you, you can't do that. Like you, you're you're ruining the vibe, bro. You're a Russian sympathizer. Exactly. Uh, and and I want you to think if if we had listened to those people a year ago, how many lives might have been saved, right, for the exactly the same outcome. Mm-hmm. And then applying that rationale to what's going on in Israel right now, uh, how many people are saying, hey, you know, at some point. I know we want to destroy Hamas, but at some point we might want to like create peace between Israel and the Palestinians where we have like a sustainable solution that works for the Palestinians. And that might require working with the people we don't like, right? Because it wasn't too long ago we were saying, we can't ever work with Putin. He's a terrorist. He's the next Hitler. You know, as soon as you say he's Hitler, you can't work with him, right? Right. And, you know, it's not a popular thing to say, but it's very possible that you might have to work with really gross, ugly, bad people in order to get peace in a situation where the situation is so devolved that the only people to work with, work for, work alongside, and your partner in peace is, is a bad guy. We also do that all the time. So, like, that argument is just bullshit, mm. <laughs> you know? Like, it's, and, and, like, flatly. Like, obviously, it's bullshit. And, like, this administration right now is still, to this day, trying to negotiate a, a nuclear deal with Iran. And they were like the height of their interactions with them were at the same time with the, the Masa uh, uh, Amini protests when that poor woman was murdered mm-hmm. um, by Iranian security forces. And I mean, the whole, like the country was really uprising, like trying to push for change. And we're <laughs> like legitimizing the regime that is like killing women in the streets of Iran. Right. So if we can do that, surely we can negotiate with Putin. Too. Or, we could, or we could be best buds with, with Mubarak, right. a terrible dictator of Egypt for 30 years. Right. Or we could give gas weapons to Saddam Hussein in the 80s. Yeah. You know, like we, we do this stuff all the time, totally. but all of a sudden there's no partner for peace because, well, guess what? There's a faction of uh, the American foreign policy elite as well as in Israel that does not want peace. That's the reality. And they might claim to you they want peace, but they want peace by Israel dominance, not peace by a mutual understanding of peace that gives the Palestinians land. Would you say that there's an equivalent faction amongst Palestinians or within Hamas that doesn't want peace? For also? sure. Of yeah, course. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just to be sure we're oh, yeah. fair here. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's just one is the fourth most powerful you know military in the world, and the other is a bunch of terrorists and poor people who don't have access to water. Right. Yeah. One in part because Hamas prevents them from having access, and, and in part to because we bomb resources. them regularly and sure, don't allow totally. the importation of uh, of the goods that would allow them to rebuild their water salination plants. Sure. Right? So if, if if don't get me wrong, yeah, absolutely. Hamas, I mean, like Hamas though is like fed and has you know actually like millions in resources for weaponry and 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 I had a clip but we don't necessarily have to share because this is like a rabbit hole, but he mm-hmm. but um. Uh, one of oh god, I should know his name, but one of the leaders of Hamas who's in Qatar, um, was being interviewed, I think, in like Jordanian television, and said that like it's not our responsibility to take care of the people in Gaza. That's the international community's responsibility because they are refugees. Our only responsibility is to take care of Hamas and like our fighters because we're waging a war. He like explicitly says that. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, 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 so, and they've been justifying yeah. it. Like when, uh, when they first cut off uh, water and power and things like this to Gaza, they said, we don't want to provide this to our enemies. Not differentiating between Hamas and the Palestinians who live in Gaza. Yeah. And, and it's important to keep, keep in mind, 
Yeah, the refugees, the refugees from the Nakba. Who did the Nakba? Yeah, totally. You know, like that's that's the thing that bothers yeah. me about it is Israel avoids responsibility in that way and then says, uh, you know, and then and then literally boxes them in with the exception of the border of Egypt into the most advanced military encampment on the planet uh, with automatic robot guns and prevents them from leaving from that way. And, but does issue some work visas, which is good. But then, you know, controls that process. Right. And then says, we're not responsible for what happens in Gaza when they're the ones who are keeping Gaza. And then additionally that, the repeated, you know, if, if they're saying, well, they have to be a state for us to not have to have any rules to treat them, then you're actually providing them a reason to never allow them to become a state. Does that make sense? Sure. If they have to treat them like someone who has rights only when they have a state, now you've, now they've you made said, it impossible for them to have a state. Exactly. So, yeah, totally. Let me ask you a question though. Does the more powerful partner have a response, a greater responsibility to generate peace than the less powerful partner? That's that's like that's the underlying philosophical question that when people are trying to give final blame, often fall back to. And that's why most people who look at this most seriously wind up giving most of the blame to Israel because they're the more powerful partner. Now, I think I can understand the libertarian objection to that is like being powerful doesn't mean you're guilty, right? But in a conflict, who is more responsible for generating the instant of peace? Well, as the more powerful, you know, sort of um, power, that's not the right way to describe that, but as, you know, the, the, the they have more of a, um, the ability to actually like sue for peace than the underdog would, right? And I think like in the Ukraine-Russia conflict, people from the beginning were saying like, well, America has no role in trying to negotiate peace because it's not our fight really. Like we can't tell the Ukrainians that they have to compromise when we're funding the whole fucking thing and we actually kind of <laughs> instigated the whole thing. So like, of course we could step in and demand peace if we want to. We and every time, leverage, right? Totally. And every time Russia has actually Based. proposed something like that, both America and the UK, which like that's a whole interesting little rabbit hole and, um, the, like their role in it all, but we have prevented that from happening. Yes. So like we are maintaining the war at this point. And I think you're right. I think morally, like we have, we have the leverage because we have the money and the resources and we're more powerful that, to actually demand peace if we really wanted it. And for a myriad of reasons, we don't, I just wanted to know also that um, the defense package that Biden has proposed that Congress is going to be debating um it's 106 billion. He's trying to wrap Ukraine, Israel, and the border all into one. Yep. Um, and 106 billion, or out of that, 64.1 billion is for Ukraine. Um, and then 16.3 billion is to help Ukraine. So 64 uh, would be just for military aid, and then 16.3 billion would be uh, basically go to the government to provide critical government services so like again just basically subsidizing their government who this time story it reveals are just skimming off the top of all of that money yeah um, just another general's bentley really right yeah yes and i think another interesting sad thing about this package because there's there's also like emergency domestic spending which is stupid and it's like broadband and like child care subsidies um but part of the international piece of the package there's about 21 billion that would just be direct lending to the IMF that's like folded into this package. Um, of course. And one of the program programs is the poverty reduction and growth trust, 
which provides like loans to impoverished countries, Ukraine isn't eligible for it. <laughs> and then the other is the Resilience and Sustainability Trust, which exists to address long-term challenges like climate change um, and is open to 137 countries, which includes Russia, China, and Iran. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God. What the fuck? <laughs> so it's not just about like supporting like Israeli soldiers or Ukrainian soldiers. It's like so much graft throughout the entire thing. Oh yeah. Uh, Incredible. Probably not going to get through the house. It looks like the house yesterday passed the Israel only bill. Okay. Which great. Biden has threatened to veto, which is a very, very interesting moment, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So if, if it gets all the way up to him, he vetoes <clears> it, <throat> will AI pack and the Israel lobby, will they hold Biden accountable or will they turn on the Republicans and say, why didn't you pass the bill that the president wants you to? That, and then think about what narrative they go on there really describes what their actual philosophy and, and you know, orientation is, right? Um, it's, is, it, is it get money at all costs or is it taken into consideration the U.S. taxpayer and the general will of the overall foreign policy alignment and how that works as a government rather than just what the blob wants, right? Because that's the overall inclination in D.C. It's a very strange moment we're in where there's even a Republican majority that might be willing to vote against vote down a Ukraine spending package. Maybe. I don't think it's there. I mean, I think with the moderates and the uh, Democrats, they probably have it. Hmm. But. It does put them all in a really awkward position. Yeah. That's kind of beautiful to watch. Yeah. So there we are. We could have two spending bills and that would be more responsible, hopefully. <laughs> uh, one for Ukraine, one for Israel that eventually gets there, but um, we'll find out. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to un the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. Uh, a couple of Israel stories that came out this week. Uh, the is Israel is now offering social media influencers a $5,000 sponsorship deal. So we have a new way to make money for the podcast, Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Israel is right about everything. It never makes any mistakes. And... Uh, yeah, we're gonna have to delete some episodes. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a little bit of self censorship. We're just getting just that five k, man. Come on, just a little self censorship. Yeah, just, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> That's how they get you. Everybody's got a price, am I right? <laughs> and ours, ours is five thousand. <laughs> hey guys, to criticize Israel is anti-Semitic. Do you know that? Yes. Like we, yeah, we yeah. can't do that. That's yes. what Ben I Shapiro agree said. With Ben Shapiro on everything. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, actually, the real story is, uh, you know, there are the request from uh, soldiers of the IDF to get the same benefits that Ukrainian soldiers got. Which, since, which benefits? Exactly? Well, the French benefits, of course. Oh. <laughs> are we going to are we going to play? <laughs> do you, do you want to preface this anymore? <laughs> no, that's it. That's all you need to know. Breaking, that's, that's breaking news. Breaking news from our uh, one of our favorite comedians, Ryan Long. Here we go. As the war in the Middle East intensifies, the head of the IDF has made a controversial post asking if soldiers serving active duty could be offered some of the same perks of war, like free access to OnlyFans accounts, since Ukraine got tons of stuff like that. 
He is quoted as saying, yeah, I saw a couple chicks raising money for the army at large by showing rock, but we're actually kind of fine in the money department. What would actually help is offering free access for the soldiers whom I've chatted with and all agree it would really boost morale. A lot of the guys have been refreshing the blogs frequently and still nothing has come up. It just doesn't make sense. Like if Ukrainian soldiers are getting titties, why wouldn't we be unless you guys support Hamas or something? Am I crazy or are we not getting the same love out here that Ukraine got? Some have speculated that the lack of free access to OnlyFans accounts being offered to IDF soldiers is a direct result of the fact that supporting Israel that aggressively is a more controversial position due to the split loyalties of their clientele. With one creator stating, a lot of my income comes from selling what my customers refer to as pics of bobs. And let's be real, we know which side those are coming from. The head of Hamas responded to the situation saying, well, if Israeli soldiers are not getting free OnlyFans subs, I don't see any reason why creators shouldn't offer the free gun pics to our boys. I promise you, gun our boys picks. love a good set. And if you're looking for a return on your investment, I don't need to tell you who is more likely to send the girls tips online after this is all over. Man to man, who do you think tips better? My guys or you know who? That's what I thought. Not saying they're simps or anything, we're just out here in the desert and the boys get a little crazy when it comes to a nice set of cans. The head of the IDF responded to those comments saying, not only are the tipping rumors offensive and untrue, my boys are much less likely to send you creepy messages. But that's besides the point. Don't pay attention to the college campuses. We're the Ukraine in this situation and would like to be treated as such, especially when it comes to news for the boys. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> It just it just demonstrates how crazy the cult moment was not too long ago, where it was like Ukraine was everything. Ukraine was so important. Everybody had to do something to Ukraine. McDonald's it had to like make sure Ukraine got like special deals on on fries, and you know, Saks was like, "Hey, if you're a Ukrainian soldier, here's a free suit." Or or you know, this insane moment we were in, where it was like OnlyFans models would get attention. It was like, "Oh yeah," and I'll give you a free subscription to to, to virtue signal that, and that's. That's the crazy moment we're at right now where it, it, it's, it's, we, we were so mono-narrated in that. Obviously, it's different with Israel. But what it shows is like the, the, the obvious, oh, who America, America needs to decide who they're going to support in this. And our government's picked Israel. But the larger question of like, why does America have to choose? Is like, that's the question that's never asked. Like, why are we in this role of using our tax dollars to send around the world to the IMF or to Ukraine or to Israel, never questioned, just goes on. And that sits behind the narrative. Um, not to, not to turn a comedy skit into an analysis, but it is, it really does. <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> That's what we do here. It's been interesting to watch the dynamics within like your typical Republican voter or your typical Republican conservative person. Cause you have like probably one of the biggest voices for the America First movement, Tucker Carlson being very much, uh, let's not get involved in this thing with Israel Hamas. Um, and he's bringing on guys like Vivek and bringing on guys like Colonel Douglas McGregor to talk about this and to kind of give that a position laid out. But then you have like all the old uh, boomer conservative commentators that are very much like, we got to get involved in this. We got to, you know, we, we got to spending to help our allies, you know, bomb Iran, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And it's just been interesting to watch the dynamic here of, and some of it seems generational really, of like, we have to support Israel versus like, this is not our fight and America first, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it just watching that split has been kind of fascinating in itself. Yeah, a lot of people are actually saying this is the death of America first, right? Uh, because yeah. there's, I mean, I mean, Israel spending packages is going smoothly. I mean, it, it, there was no opposition. 
Well, and there's clear like cognitive, because like that's the interesting thing to me is the cognitive dissonance of like the super avid Tucker watcher that's mm-hmm. not not down for this, mm-hmm. and then then them also trying to like put in the jigsaw pieces together to try to figure out what do I actually believe in this? I'm not sure. I'm confused. Right. Like there seems to be a lot of that right now. They have to reconcile their external belief set that they're mostly getting from their sources mm-hmm. with an internal contradiction that they have to reconcile. Like mm-hmm. what what is the role of America on the foreign stage? I just shared a meme that I think is kind of relevant to this conversation. Nice. Um, Where did you put in it? In the Discord, I sent it under the meme thread. Okay, okay, okay. I'll grab it. Join the Discord. Join the Discord. Yeah, join the Discord. <laughs> Cat's sick meme. <laughs> we share fire memes. Actually, I want to give a shout out to my brother, Sam, who's now running memes on our Instagram page, too. Oh, right so on. he's just uh, firing yeah. off some gems. So definitely follow us on Instagram. Okay, so for our so, audio listeners... Read it out, Kat. This it says, is your tweet. morning, it's time to pick a side. Be careful, though. There's no way to fully understand what's happening. Firm stances only. And combine your stance with a threat to non-stance takers. Weaponize your confusion. Use buzzwords. Lastly, die on the hill, especially, especially if you are wrong. <laughs> you always have to die on the hill. Like once, you, once you make a position, you're stuck in that position. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going all in. This is so great because we're reading it on a podcast. That's an Instagram post of a, of a picture uh, of, of a, a tweet. tweet. <laughs> How deep into the matrix are we? <laughs> well, like I said before, we aren't actually real. So yeah. we're right. all the way. Apparently. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're, we are AI after all. Yes. Simulation theory. Well, guys, I think that is a great place to wrap it up. Kat, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This was great. We appreciate it as always for David, the, bald eagle of liberty and kyle crypto (laughs) dj and mac i'm joe sheehan thank you jake for everything you're doing and thank you for watching us thanks for tuning in to human reaction help us fight internet censorship by liking commenting subscribing following and sharing the show with your friends to find us around the internet visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod and remember Oh Seductive man. AI has no rules. It will change your life or end it. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's what the autoplay went to. <laughs> okay. Oh man, that that yeah. that next autoplay stole the show 